Hello and welcome to the Education Policy Podcast for England from Voice Community. In this episode, we look at baseline assessment and we talk about COVID vaccinations and CO2 monitors in the here and now. We look at supply teachers, agency workers regulations, tax and self-assessment in your working life and we bust some supply teacher myths. Hello and welcome to the Education Policy Podcast for England for October. Thanks so much for those of you who have subscribed and let us know what you think of the podcast. It's always great to hear your thoughts. If you do listen regularly, please do subscribe and please do like and tell us how you like listening and where you like listening and what you like about the podcast and so on and so forth. And remember to share widely with your friends and colleagues. So, Martin, straight into the here and now. I'll get us up and running. Baseline assessment is a waste of time. Yeah, there's been a lot going on in schools since September. This year, for the first time ever, the reception baseline assessment has been held. We have, and all of the other unions, have been saying to the government that we don't think this was the right time to introduce it. But furthermore than that, our members and the members of all unions have been getting in touch to say to us, actually, that this is a complete waste of time. And the various newspapers have been saying that nine out of ten teachers feel that baseline assessment is a waste of time. It takes staff away from the pupils during these really, really important first few weeks. And most importantly, it doesn't tell them anything that they wouldn't already know about those pupils. So baseline assessment, according to members, according to those practising, is a complete waste of time. Yeah, and it's a stark figure, isn't it? Nine out of ten. 90% of teachers think it's an absolute waste of time. We'd love to hear from uh, any of our listeners on this issue, so please do get in touch. A reminder of the email address to get in touch with us on educationpolicy at community-tu.org. Moving on swiftly, CO2 monitors still haven't been delivered to schools. Yeah, unfortunately, there has been a delay with the manufacturers and some of the logistics problems. Um, That's not an excuse. The government have been promising to send CO2 monitors out to schools and they should be uh, doing that. By the time this podcast goes out, we expect that all special needs schools and schools that have got a particular special needs focus will have received their first batch of CO2 monitors the rest of the schools should be receiving CO2 monitors between now and Christmas and the aim is for them to receive one monitor for every two teaching spaces. And talking of delays, the 12 to 15 year old vaccination programme is also delayed. What are the reasons behind that delay? There are all sorts of reasons, um, but primarily the difficulties in getting the vaccines into schools, getting the permission from parents in order to administer the vaccine, making sure that there are enough staff to actually administer the vaccine from the school's immunisation service. All of these things are contributing to delays. We are pleased to hear recently that the government have announced that children aged between 12 and 15 will be able to receive the vaccine at COVID vaccination centres and so that will take some of the pressure off schools having to host these sessions and should hopefully increase the uptake. So moving on to your working life, and we're going to start with a recent supply staff survey that we put together, well, Martin put together. And as part of this survey, we wanted to know what the experience of working supply was like for our members. 
So we surveyed them throughout the summer of 2021 about working conditions, pay, and how valued they feel by the people they work with. Now, I was particularly interested in the outcome of this survey. I've done the odd bit of supply throughout my career, so I was particularly interested in the outcome of this survey. So, Martin, you put the survey together. You've gone through the results. What can you tell us about the results of this survey, then? So, we had a pretty good response uh, from a wide range of members. The vast majority of respondents engaged uh, wholly in short-term supply work, but 28% were mixing long and short-term supply or had got some permanent work mixed in with their supply work. Some of our members that responded had been engaged in supply work for five years or more uh, and and 24% had worked supply for more than 10 years. Um, 20% had only been working supply over the past couple of years which perhaps shows a little bit of a problem with the education jobs market during COVID. Despite a significant number of the respondents being trained teachers, members have had to take up some cover supervisor roles or work in other supporting roles because schools are not recruiting teachers to cover lessons. And so this can mean that staff trained to deliver one subject or one specialism are being deployed in a completely different area. And we're aware that this can make work more challenging, but most importantly of all, it's not ideal for the children. So as part of a survey, we did ask uh, members what it was that schools expected of them. So here's a few few quotes, a few highlights then from those replies. Most schools have a reasonable expectation in regards what work is left and marking. Each setting is different and there have been occasions when things haven't been explained, such as behaviour policies, who to go for for help, etc. But most schools do give you the information you need. Sometimes the amount of marking expected to be completed before you go home can be demanding. Also, some explanations of lessons can be quite vague. And finally, one member said that they have been in a situation in a short-term contract where they're running the class, planning, assessing, doing parent consultations, writing reports, all as the class teacher, but only on a supply rate. Not good, some of those um, some of no, those. No, a bit worrying, some of that feedback. So on supply rates then, mine. what should the supply rate be? Well, for teachers, the school teachers paying conditions document is quite clear that supply teachers should be paid a daily rate based on their spinal pay point. So, for example, a teacher paid on M4 should receive one 195th of their annual salary. Currently, that's just over 31000 or around about £163 a day. Tax, national insurance and other deductions would need to be made from that before you get your bring home salary. And when considering their pay, 27% of our respondents did feel this was about the same as normal, which suggests that unfortunately this was not the case for everyone. And when you take into account statutory deductions such as tax and national insurance, this can take a daily salary to less than £100 a day. So should that supply rate you've just talked about, should that be the amount of money the teacher receives after the deductions to an agency, for example? Obviously, we know that agencies are going to take a cut in order for giving you that work. It's reasonable that agencies are paid for the work that they do. But I do think that this needs to be transparent and that you need to know how much that cut is going to be before you are uh, deployed by an agency. Well, and on that note, we do have an interview uh, later on in this episode with the CEO of an agency. So we're going to be able to put some questions to him a little later on. Back to this survey for the time being then. 
Um, the pandemic was obviously significant at the time of the survey. How did respondents say that the pandemic had affected them? It, it was a variety of ways. Some respondents noted that there was no work during the lockdown at all. Others saying that there was far less work available. And although schools have been open, they've said that they don't want to have visitors in school wherever possible. And, and in Scotland, one member noted that she'd finished her PGDE in December, but it took until March to get added to the supply list. Um, so obviously there are delays there as well. So that was obviously, Martin, a very, very quick, short summary of the supply staff survey results. Where can people find um, the more detailed results? In the upcoming edition of the Your Voice magazine, we have got a expanded version of the results and also the results will be available on our website www.voicetheunion.org.uk. So to finalise then, before you start working any supply, find out about your pay before you agree to the work and ask about holiday pay and pension contributions as well as tax and national insurance deductions. Find out if there is any support or training available, especially if you're going to be employed for an extended period of time. And finally, our advice is, wherever possible, get any details and instructions put in writing. It's one less thing for you to have to remember throughout your day or week or time at that placement. So Martin, there are some regulations which cover agency workers. They are called the Agency Workers Regulations 2010 and they give rights to workers employed by an agency and supplied by the agency to a hirer. So this might include, for example, nursery nurses placed in a nursery, supply teachers in schools, um, but not specifically supply staff engaged by a school direct or via a local authority pool. Um, what does that actually mean then? So agency workers are entitled to the same basic working and employment conditions as, as permanent employees. And from day one, people who are working supply are entitled to access the facilities, your staff canteens, car parking, etc. Um, just the same as they would if they were an employee. They also gain additional rights after they've worked 12 weeks solidly. After a 12-week qualifying period, an agency worker is entitled to the same conditions of employment as if they had been directly employed. So what does the term pay not include then? If you are employed as an agency worker or as a supply worker, you are not entitled to occupational sick pay. You are entitled to statutory sick pay, but you're not entitled to occupational sick pay and nor are you entitled to occupational maternity, paternity or adoption schemes. You probably also won't get a pension. Yeah, so just to be really clear then, the regulations we're talking about state that the agency worker must work in the same role with the same hirer for 12 continuous calendar weeks during one or more assignments before qualifying for the 12-week rights. So those ones you've just talked about, the 12-week rights, it needs to be for the same hirer in the same role for 12 continuous calendar weeks. But some breaks in the assignment do not necessarily end that continuous period, do they? What, what do they include? No, so obviously if you're sick, you are still considered to be working for the hirer. So that wouldn't count as a break in your service. Similarly, any other statutory or contractual time off, for example, jury service, holidays, for example, if you're working in a school, school holidays, they don't count 
as a break-in service, um, and neither would industrial action if there were to be any industrial action which caused the workplace to close and therefore you were not able to work. So that just about covers agency working regulations on the podcast. Where can people go for some more information on, on these So we have an information sheet on the agency workers' regulations, which you can find on our website, www.voicetheunion.org.uk. So that leads us nicely into, then, the start of our interview with Mike Donnelly, who is the CEO of Premier Teachers. So um, just to introduce myself, uh, my name's Mike Donnelly. I'm the CEO of Premier Teachers. Um, I'm actually an ex experienced teacher myself. I trained in the northeast and moved down to Hertfordshire area where, where I moved across a few different schools um, but I moved up to becoming a head of department. I was a head of department for 10 years and then I relocated back to the northeast and it was ironic actually um, because um, there was a lot of demand for teachers in the southeast but when I moved back it was quite difficult to get jobs so that was the first time in my life I'd experienced that this kind of difficulty in finding work I just didn't think that was um, something that happened with teachers so I found myself doing a bit of supply work myself which I never thought I would do just to kind of fill a gap um, and that was a completely new experience working for agencies and to be honest it was quite a confusing experience um, I didn't really understand some of the systems particularly around kind of pay and after a couple of months of that I went into a long-term uh, contract with the school directly employed so I've been both employed work for an agency and uh, work on a temporary contract for a school. So I've probably seen all different sides myself. Following that long-term contract, I went on to set up Premier Teachers, um, which really was set up with an ethos to be um, a teacher-run agency um, or business or recruitment business and uh, to provide teachers, teaching assistance into schools on, on temporary contracts, but also to help schools with permanent roles. And also to provide a, a training function as well. So we do do some work with a local university where we go in and do some specific training with them that's highly, highly specialised and quite niche around SEND. Uh, we have done some specific training courses I've designed from scratch on classroom management. And it's something we're, we're quite passionate about in the future in terms of getting agency workers skilled up on CPD training as well. We cover the whole of the northeast, all the way up to the borders of Scotland, Berwick, all the way down kind of Newcastle, South Shields, Sunderland, across to Middlesbrough and the borders of Yorkshire. So it's a very, very large area uh, that it covers. So quite a challenge for us to find enough available staff because when schools ring, we need to have every kind of permutation of staff you can imagine in secondary, primary, send. Um, so it's a very big challenge to to get quality staff. And I think that's the the message, you know, staff, schools want quality. They also want people that are keen and, and trained up and ready to go. It's a big challenge, quite an enjoyable challenge, yeah. but it's a, it's a very big challenge, yeah. So, so was there a, a moment when you were doing supply then that, that made you think, I'd like to start my own agency or I could do this better? Yeah, I think it was probably just that feeling of not quite sure what's going on with the pay. I, I didn't, they were, at the time they were using umbrella companies a lot and it was very confusing when I rang the agency you didn't really get a straight answer but also I felt there was, there was a bit of a lack of control I was getting approached about jobs that I, that were out of the remit and area that I wanted to work in and I just thought there must be a better way to to do this so I think that was probably the key thing yeah so do you want to tell us a little bit then about what an agency is and and how they differ from 
umbrella companies because you've mentioned umbrella yes, companies yeah. and, and it'd be really useful to understand a little bit about what what they do and and what their yeah. role is so the legal term is an employment business is what we predominantly do an employment business is we find the staff uh, we employ them, um, but the schools use them. They effectively hire our staff. But in terms of kind of who the employer is, that would be us. And we use a joint, and it's interesting, we we are a joint employer with our um, umbrella agency. So umbrella agencies perform the payroll function. And um, the contracts that we have is a bit unusual because we chose an umbrella agency where we're joint employers. So in effect, the employer, just in a nutshell, the agency finds the work for the for the contractor um, and they are the intermediary with the school and the contractor. The umbrella agency generally performs the payroll function. They do anything, if there's maternity leave, holiday, any inquiries about pay, they process the pay side. So we send them the money, they pay the, the um, supply agency staff. So not particularly easy to explain describe but hopefully that that makes yeah. so yeah. in terms of i'm thinking about the you know the benefits perhaps to to staff to supply staff you know i'm thinking back to my my mum i've mentioned on this podcast before my mum uh, was a head teacher but before that yeah uh, 30 plus years ago when she was having children she was doing the odd bit of supply um, and she would quote sort of go it alone a, a bit more she wasn't part of an agency yes. so what's the benefits to people of to staff to supply staff of being part of an agency and being placed that way do you think yeah um i think it would probably be the variety of offers of different work so if you so for example I've, I worked for 10 years in a school um, I know that if I'd have said at the end of that t- tenure if I, when I left I said look I'd love to come back and do a bit of supply work for you when you need people I know I know that they would have taken me back um, but that's one school it works particularly well if you you're retired and money's not a major issue and you just want to do a bit of top up and keep your hand in versus an agency or an employment business will We'll have links with many, many schools. We'll be able to be kind of a dedicated consultant for you. So if you are saying, often teachers come to us and say, we want to do something completely different. Maybe they're trained in primary, all of their links are in primary, but they want to go and work in a a special educational needs school. They won't have those contacts. We do. Um, And then therefore we can kind of both prepare them for that kind of work and get them the work that they might struggle to get them themselves. An easy way to describe it is if you haven't got the contacts in a school and you approach a school and say, I want to work here on a temporary contract, they will say, okay, you need to go and find an agency because we don't want to do all the vetting. We don't know who you are. And the agency acts as our intermediary to do that side. So that's kind of the function that employment businesses have. If it's a permanent role you're looking for as well, that's slightly different. And we do, do also help on that side. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's benefits to the school, not just to the to the employee as well, with the with the vetting and so yeah. on and so forth. So yeah. you, you mentioned, I think, a few a few moments ago about um, placing people in schools, and you just mentioned there, like perhaps wanting to do uh, secondary if you're primary trained. So what kind of criteria do you use to find the most appropriate staff for that school? You know, do you, are you thinking about that school and the staff and how they might fit together and things like that? Yeah, yeah. very much so. Yeah. So we know, we describe it as kind of the person fit. And it's not just the, the skills fit and the, the training, it's the person fit. Even more so with the special educational needs school, they are very much about the person, not just about the qualifications. So we look at, you know, do they have that kind of bubbly personality? Do they have that kind of kind nature that, that often fits in really well with the kind of um, SENS staff um, and the pupils? Um, if it's a secondary independent school, for example, there's things that they'll look for that are slightly different again. 
can they contribute to the extracurricular side of the school, which is massive in, in independent schools? If it's a secondary state school, which has very challenging pupils, that's a different kind of person again. So we, we look at the, the fit very much in terms of the person fit, not just the qualifications. Are you finding that some schools are demanding teachers who have got qualified teacher status? Or are you finding that some schools are requesting more staff who are not qualified teachers, but maybe um, supply support staff, supply cover yeah. supervisors, oh, yeah. that sort of role? Yeah, interestingly, if we look at the number of bookings that we've got at the moment, we've got more support staff booked with schools than we do teachers. There's a huge growth in the demand wow. for schools to support, uh, support staff, so that's teaching assistants. Schools do request cover supervisors as well, which is a bit of a kind of bone of contention with some, some um, qualified teachers because they're going and doing what used to be a job that only teachers could do, um, but the law was changed about 15 years ago saying that cover supervisors could go in. So we get both support staff, cover supervisors and teachers going into schools. So uh, we've touched on pay already in terms of umbrella companies and things, but can you explain a little bit for us about how the pay is calculated? I mean, obviously, we understand that you've got to take a fee to facilitate these placings of of some kind. But how does that actually work? And how is the a daily rate sort of calculated for a teacher? So we have got a slide and scale for teachers. So we've got kind of M1, M2. M3, 4, 5, 6. Um, we tend not to do UPS. It depends on how experienced the, the teachers are, if it's if it's teaching staff. If they are experienced, we pay them a slightly different rate to a newly qualified teacher. It, a lot just depends on that, really. If it's a, if it's supply teaching assistants, they're on a different rate again. So it goes from anything as an example, around £70 a day for support staff up to we've got a we've got a maths teacher on 190 pound a day so there's a very big difference i mean so he got paid to scale straight away some staff don't get paid to scale straight away because they're doing a different function and i think that's a little bit confusing sometimes um but best way to describe it is that if you're a full-time teacher you go in and you do all of your marking your planning your parents evenings your meetings that's a very different job to turning up at nine o'clock and leaving at three o'clock with no marking and and no planning and no meetings so it's just a generally much shorter day you're only doing really about five hours five and a half hours just so the pay is slightly different depending on the role so if they're going in and performing the function of a of like they are permanent member staff we do have a slightly different pay structure for that so do you find a lot of schools sort of expect planning and marking or is that something that you don't get involved with or is it quite varied from school to school i think it very just very much largely depends on how long they are there for so we we kind of class the contract as short term medium term or long term generally one to three days the work should be set um in, in a secondary school so that means the turn up the work should be there however i've had personal experience where you turn up and there's no work there so yeah same it's, a, it, it's not it's not a guarantee and it's quite a scary thing i think when you turn up and you realize the work's not there you don't know the kids you don't know where to go and find someone to get the work so but if in a normal, you know, on an average day, in a good school, well organised school, the work should be set. So there's a rate for that, and and there's an expectation around that. So they literally turn up. The supply sets will literally turn up. They they're really performing the function of controlling the class, doing the best they can to deliver that lesson if they're a specialist. And at the end of the day, they really would be doing a quick handover at whoever they're reporting into, and and then expect to leave. If it's secondary, they wouldn't be expected to generally mark the work. They wouldn't be expected to plan the work for the next day. If it's just a one or two day cover, if it's immediate, you know, if it's a, an example, the math teacher we put in, 
that's a very different scenario. He did a day handover even before he started he went in to go and meet the school deputy head he did all of the kind of he had a kind of effect like a welcome pack he got himself a staff card he met with the head of departments um, he had a full handover he is expected to do the full function of a teacher so obviously there's a different different expectation there so that's another thing it's uh it depends what the role is and we just do a lot of kind of liaison with schools and say look is the work set is it not and we really relay that on to to the teachers just on terms of kind of um the pay and the, there's a new bit of legislation come has come in as well which is transparency on pay it's called a key information document so it did it used to be that agencies would simply say this is what you're getting paid and off you go now there's a bit of legislation where you, each and every time you send a new person into a school they get a key information document. So that's your gross pay, how much holiday pay, how much national insurance comes off, what your net pay is. So everybody knows exactly what they're going to get. I and think then, that leads us really nicely, uh, Mike, sorry to interrupt, into our next sort of the next question, if you like, mm. which is about, you know, obviously we're a trade union. So our role is to protect our members. That that bit of inf- that key bit of information, I think, actually would go a long way towards protecting and making sure they understand what it is they're getting. But what it is, yeah. what is it that, that you know you can do, or what measures do you have to protect your clients? And and, and when I say your clients, I guess I mean both the schools and the workers. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's just openness at the start. So so I think what we the one of the most important things we do if someone if a school shows an interest in a member of staff is just find out when the break periods are find out if there's any what any health and safety concerns what's the covid procedure is there a welcome pack given to staff when they arrive if it's a school that we work with regularly we know all of those things anyway um what you know what the break periods are and then we can calculate their pay if it's a role which is quite going to be quite close to national minimum wage we do a calculation to make sure we're not breaching any national minimum wage kind of uh, requirements and that they are getting above and beyond national minimum wage. So that's one of the calculations we do. Um, the key information document comes uh, with, with that as well. In terms of the safeguarding sort of side, you know, all staff, and this protects both the school and the, the agency member staff. So all staff are, are interviewed. They have a full um, remit of kind of checks that are done we know that the checks that we do is, is generally higher than the most schools do so if it's a teacher we'll we we do um a prohibition from teaching check teaching assistants don't have that um but we we have everybody's on an enhanced dbs um vast vast majority of them are enhanced dbs's and on the updated service so we can we do that check we do five-year reference and check and we check all of the right to work side as well. So the other thing is to make sure that the fit's correct. Um, one of the responsibilities of an agency is not to put somebody into a role where either the personality fit or the, the qualification fit is incorrect, um, and that could lead to problems. So that's down to us really to make sure that we put the right people in the right role as far as we can feasibly say. That doesn't mean we can't get it wrong. Uh, I would say if we send 100 pe- people out on a booking, I don't think even we'll get one back. But, you know, if we send 500, yeah, we'll, we'll probably get one or two where schools say that wasn't quite right. Let's try again. So I think a lot of it. So it's a mix of safeguarding information, both sides, information sharing, making sure people are comfortable. We also check in with the school at the end of the day to make sure how that first day went with that candidate. And we do the same with the candidate rather than let problems kind of occur. Um, and then we find out later. So. A lot of it's about communication. A lot of it's about 
vetting, safeguarding, and and making sure people people are comfortable have what they need. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. You know, it, making sure that everyone that, that information sharing. I think that's key. You know, making sure everyone's really, yeah. really fully aware. I can think that's. You know, I, I did a little bit of supply, and um, you know, I, I was I was I was laughing to myself a moment ago because you talk about going into lessons you're not a specialist in, and I taught a Spanish lesson once with no lesson prepared yeah. for me. It's like, what? <laughs> what am I going to do? Uh, yeah. um, so I you know, I think having that information sharing is re- really absolutely vital. So, um, what are you hoping for then, Mike, as a sort of closing question in, in terms of working closely with unions and obviously specifically with community union in in, in this case? So, what we're really hoping to do is close a bit of a gap on training. Um, at the moment, one of the things that we're striving to do, um, and we think with a, with a closer um, connection or union with your union, we could achieve is to is to provide CPD to your members that are that are maybe teachers or teaching assistants or cover supervisors. We're trying to develop an internship for support staff. So we, we're looking to get people into the profession as well um, and find an, a way to do that in partnering with schools that we work with, but also in partnership with your union and ourselves to develop something that's quite unique, uh, isn't out there at the moment and will enable people to both get experience and in a partner school and have a qualification that will allow them to work there and in other places. So that's quite a quite a, a big kind of mission, um, but we believe it's it's, uh, it's achievable. That's also um, achievable outside of the Northeast as well. So we're looking at, you know, not yes, we operate in the northeast, but could that be rolled out in other areas? If you're a teacher that already is working with your union and do some work with yourself as well, there's other courses we can offer. Could be safeguarding, could be something on send, special educational needs. Um, so there's a variety of different ways we can work together. I think as well, hopefully, I'd like to kind of dispel some of the myths about agencies maybe being a little bit unethical sometimes so hopefully by the kind of work that we do we can put our money where our mouth is and show what we can do. I mean I think that's really interesting and I'm sure once those plans are a little more firmly in place and Voice Community knows uh, what our role is in this we'll uh, be able to share that information with our listeners and with with members uh, more widely. I love teachers and, and teachers to you know get a, get a teacher's pension through supply as well but that's a very difficult thing to achieve but you know that's the sort of thing where lobbying could come in I would probably say um, it's quite a political point but um, I do believe that should happen. I think achieve. that'd be great to see yeah I, yeah. I really I really really do. Uh, Mike thanks so much for joining us uh, today for that chat I think it's been really really informative and, and, I, and I'm sure that um, as well as the other things on the podcast today about agency work and supply staff and so on and so forth that that's going to be mm-hmm. really really um, important for our members to to have heard so thanks very very much. And so we come to the final part of each podcast, the Mythbusters. So in keeping with the rest of this episode, we are going to base this Mythbuster on supply staff. So here we go, Martin. Are you ready? Okay, doke. It is an expectation that I must do marking and planning in my own time when I'm a supply member of staff. So as we discussed earlier, you have week one rights and you have 12-week rights when you are on long-term supply. We've also spoken about making sure that the expectations are made clear to you when you begin any supply work. Those expectations should make clear exactly what is expected of you as far as delivery, as far as planning, 
and as far as assessment is concerned. It should also make clear when those sorts of things are due to be done. Obviously, if you are just working for a single day in a workplace, it is unreasonable to expect you to do planning and it's unreasonable to expect you to do any sort of extended assessment beyond maybe a little bit of marking. If you were working at a school maybe doing a maternity cover or a longer term supply, then you would certainly be entitled to PPA time, just the same as a full-time member of staff. And therefore, that PPA time uh, is where you would be expected to do planning, preparation and assessment. The difficulty arises because many teachers want to do some planning. They want to make the lessons their own. Yeah. They also want to assess the work that is being done to make sure that those teachers who they're covering for know what has happened in the lesson. So sometimes schools put increased expectations on their supply teachers to do assessment. Um, and we've had members in the survey tell us that they have remained behind at school for quite some time to make sure that the marking was done. Of course, there are ways that you can get marking done during the day. You could use the children themselves to do a little bit of peer assessment, or you could get them to do some partner marking, partner assessment. Essentially, you as a supply teacher are only employed to do what you are asked to do. So if you are not asked to do marking, then perhaps you need to make sure whether or not that is an expectation in your workplace. Don't assume that because you've not been asked to do it, that you shouldn't do it, make it clear uh, with the employer exactly what the expectations are. It's important to make these expectations clear. However, if you are expected to do any planning or any assessment, it is also reasonable for you to be given time and pay to do that. So I think a lot of it, doesn't it, come back to this idea, as we've discussed before, of reasonableness. You know, if you're only being paid to work, say, 8.30 till 3.30 and that's all you're really being paid to do and then they're asking you to do in-depth marking on the work that's been done that day and you've taught five classes that's completely unreasonable you're going to be there for hours after work so it's going to come back to that reasonableness isn't it? Absolutely what is reasonable but also what are the expectations and what exactly are you being paid to do? So like we said earlier on Perhaps the best thing you can possibly do is get the expectations in writing so you don't have to remember it and you can come back to it throughout the day and then point to them at the end of the day as well and say, these were the expectations given me at the start of the day. I fulfilled those. So I think, Martin, that is another myth busted. Boom! And so, on that note, Martin... That's all we've got time for this month. Fantastic. Uh, don't forget, please do get in touch with us. You can email us on educationpolicy at community-tu.org. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communityunion for updates, news, events and more. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Voice the Union for news, shared content and resources. And don't forget our Instagram account at Community Union. Any help and advice, visit our website www.voicetheunion.org.uk and check out our frequently asked questions and info sheets that are available to members for lots of great info and advice. And if you can't find the answer to your questions there, then please don't hesitate to contact our team on 01332 372 337. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and tell everyone to join us on the Education Policy Podcast for England.